It is odd to say the least here. It is 10 days before Christmas, and we are still camping out with the prophets. Who chooses this scripture anyway? <laughs> some of you are aware that on some of these Sundays, especially uh, during these precious seasons of Advent and Lent, that we will focus on passages of Scripture that you think you may have heard before at this time of year. You have, because we are following what is called the lectionary, a series of Scripture passages that, if kept in their entirety, lead the church over a three-year period through just about 90% of the scripture. It's a beautiful thing, but how is it that we have arrived at this place and we are still receiving these types of scripture? Don't they know, these leaders in the church, don't they know that we are having parties down here? <coughs> Don't they know that at this time of the year we are buying presents, we have decorated for the season. In fact, it just doesn't fit this dark word from a prison cell. It just doesn't <coughs> fit. Here we are, for God's sake, trying to be happy. And now we are moved toward this great somber emotion filling this space. It is not unlike what we are experiencing, though, I would submit to you. Whenever things come up that just are not the way that we would want it to be, in the past several days, just two words have caught us and slowed us and made us into a people of prayer. You know what those two words are, don't you? Sandy Hooks. Is that what you want to think about? Not me. Not at this time of the year. And but just a few days ago now, I was thinking to myself, couldn't Nelson Mandela have found a better time of the year to die? It's not what I want to process. The idea that he spent 27 years in prison is too hard for me to gain hold to. It doesn't fit with my forms of reality. In fact, I would paint the world a whole lot more joyful if it were just up to me. We would sing the happy songs all day long instead of asking the questions, what child is this? John was in prison. 
This is what happens when you get involved on the wrong side of politics. John had called out Herod at the very least for adultery, but also had raised the question of incest as a part of this accusation. Don't know exactly how he was arrested, but I can tell you it wasn't a pretty sight when it happened. And there he was in prison, awaiting a fate that he did not yet know. Do you think that he did not know that this was a possibility? He knew very well. There were all kinds of possibilities out there. The forthright soul that he was, this powerful swashbuckler of a guy out in the wilderness, standing there calling the world to prepare for the coming of God in ways that the world had not yet seen. People paid attention to him. You better believe they paid attention and they came out in droves. But here he is in prison having to manage all sorts of emotions, primarily his disappointment that things weren't working out exactly like he had planned. And that even... This one whom he had anticipated might offer a different scenario and complete the mission that he had started was beginning to appear as incapable as he himself was feeling at that moment. Let me tell you, for those of you who come along with me, to this triumphalist idea of our faith, with these mighty and majestic ideas of the world that God is putting in order, that you and I cannot manage our life so easily as that, and that there is something disturbing about Jesus. If you haven't discovered it yet, You haven't thought very long about it all. Jesus will disappoint you. That's just the way it is. That's a strange thing for a preacher to say, isn't it? Listen to me here. I'll say it again, lest you miss it. Jesus will disappoint you. At least to begin with. Until you discover what he is about. Do you think that John was not disappointed? I mean, he had reached the point of who he was to believe. He was questioning who he was. Himself, John. But on top of that, he was questioning who Jesus was, surely. I mean, he had known Jesus since day one. In fact, even before that, John didn't remember it, but his mother told him from early on, she said, John, when my cousin Mary came to visit me, I was pregnant, and she was pregnant. 
But you wouldn't believe when she knocked on the door and I opened it, you did two backflips in my womb. <coughs> From the very first days, Jesus and John were playmates, second cousins, sharing life together. They even went off to school together. The scholars say that most likely that Jesus and John were both schooled with the Essenes in the Qumran community on the northwestern edge of the Dead Sea. What a wonderful thing, these guys. And John, so attentive to the scripture. But he knew, he knew that in Jesus, there was something else at work. He knew when they were in school together, that there was something that Jesus had as a part of who he was that he couldn't hold a stick to. There he was in the wilderness, attracting all this attention, getting all the fame, pointing it toward God, but people following John. And then who shows up with the crowds to be baptized? But the one that John knew was greater than he would ever be. When Jesus came close to the water, he said to Jesus, he said, wait, oh, a minute here, you should be baptizing me, not me, you. And Jesus said, John, you know the scripture, let it be fulfilled in this place. And all heaven broke loose. Don't know that John heard the words, but he, I guarantee you, knew what was being said. This is my son. And he was not talking about John here. He was talking about Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Oh, don't you know they were connected? It wasn't long before Jesus began to rise in popularity to the point that people came to John and said he's getting more followers than you. John had the good sense to say Jesus must rise and my place will fall. But even at that point John was resting upon the idea that where we were headed here was a short road to success. <clears throat> and that Jesus, this essence of godness in the world, was going to set things right that even he could not set right. Can you imagine what he was feeling as he was arrested? It's only a matter of time now. Only a matter of time until Jesus puts everything in right place. Don't know how it's going to happen, but it's only a matter of time. But months went by. We don't know. Possibly even a year. Maybe two years. We don't know how long John was in prison. But I can tell you this. He was long enough to be in prison 
to begin to question the very nature of who he was and what Jesus was about. This passage has John sending messengers to Jesus with the question, are you the one? Are we supposed to expect somebody else? It's a pretty rude question if you think about it, isn't it? Is this something that you would say to the Son of God? It's only if you had a question about Jesus' identity. Jesus sends back a message to his cousin John. According to how you read the scripture, you could almost think it was glib. I mean, is it the case that John didn't know what Jesus was doing? You think John did not know that Jesus was healing the lame, was curing the sick, was making the blind to see? You think John didn't know this? Was Jesus telling John anything new? No! John knew this. Jesus says, go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have good news brought to them. But now this you may not have considered as being as important as it really is. This next statement made by Jesus so that the disciples of John would set the hook. He said... And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. You want to know the key to the passage? That's the key to the passage. (laughs) And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. John, there he was taking all kinds of offense at who Jesus was and what his idea of God meant. He didn't have a clue where Jesus was headed. He was very focused on his messianic ideas of Jesus as coming into the world and knew that God was going to succeed beyond all imagination. He believed in Jesus as the Son of God. And yet all evidence was pointing the other way. And Jesus was saying, John, this is where it really happens. That God makes his home with those that are weak and those that are oppressed. Not those who were powerful. Who did you come into this wilderness to see? Someone who was decked out in fine robes? No, you came. The people did. You came out to see John who was this rascal of a guy in the wilderness. What's what's the problem here? Do you not make the connect? You see, you and I get Christmas all wrong. We think if we can just get everything in order, life is going to be wonderful. God will come again in the quietness. And I love all of that. 
But you know where we find God truly, don't you? Some of you really do know where God can be found. And that is in the midst of all of this struggle that we have in life. In the midst of these awakenings when a doctor says it's cancer, we can deal with it, but uh, it's going to be a long road. That is unsettling, isn't it? Or to hear the word from someone that you thought you knew who says, I want a divorce and I want it now. These words are unsettling. (coughs) To hear the word death. Death. And not to be completely swept off your feet when you are told who. Jesus says, and blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. We'd rather not engage in all of what he might mean. I've got a friend in the ministry who several years ago, when this bulldozer of a storm came through, that one called Katrina, and made a mess of southern Louisiana and Mississippi. When all of that happened, he was just so, just so crushed at what he was seeing. He called his congregation by way of a blanket email, and he said, he said, while you're out during this week, he said, if you find a piece of glass, pick it up and bring it with you on Sunday. Wherever you are, if you're out walking in a parking lot, you see a shard of glass. If you're out on a trail somewhere, you see a little piece of glass. Bring it with you when you come to church on Sunday. And on Sunday, all of those people had gathered and they brought these little broken pieces of glass representing the brokenness of the world and placed that on the altar. My dear friend in ministry took those pieces of glass and all of their different colors and fashioned them into a cross that still hangs there in that church. Don't you know that it is God's presence in your brokenness, in my brokenness, that truly reveals the power of what only God is able to do. Nelson Mandela had come to this. How else, how else could this guy on his inauguration day as president have invited his jailers to be on the platform with him? How else could that have happened? Had he not reconciled The idea that prison's not all that bad when God is a part of it. 
I get visits in the office. People that come by want to share a little bit of their thoughts and mine. About eight weeks ago, I had a visitor and she said, I want to talk to you about the service. And I thought, oh no. <laughs> she came in and sat down and I said, and what did you have on your mind? And she said, well, it's that hymn. And I said, which hymn? And she said, well, the first one we sung. I said, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing? She said, yeah, that hymn. She said, I love that hymn. I said, I do too. I thought, this is going to turn out good maybe, you know? <laughs> and, and she said, she said, I love that hymn. She said, but it happens every time. I said, what happens every time? She said, we always leave out the sixth verse. I hadn't really thought about that, you know? <clears throat> but I turned to that hymn, and it even has an asterisk beside it in the hymnal. Charles Wesley's hymn. Now, Charles Wesley didn't put the asterisk there. I don't know how long it's been there. I have a feeling only since the newest hymnal was published. But it has an asterisk beside verse 6. And at the bottom of the page, you can look this up yourself if you want to. It says, may be omitted. Being good Methodists like we are. <laughs> we omitted that verse. But she said, she went on to say, it just is not complete with that, without that verse. We celebrate for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. But when we get down to the nature of that sixth verse, she said, to, to sing those words, hear him ye deaf, his praise ye dumb. Your loosened tongues employ. Even though I know, she said, that is politically incorrect. We don't use that language. She said, we rob the hymn of its power. She said, that is the very verse that speaks to me about the weakness from which God has redeemed me. I thought, God bless this precious soul for awakening me to a different understanding of what Charles Wesley meant us to hear. You see, all along, it's been hard through the course of human history. Even in these past 2,000 years, dating back to Jesus' encounter with us, in Bethlehem, and particularly just outside of Jerusalem, it is hard for us to believe that God can work when bad things are afoot. But this is where God is at his best for those who will embrace the idea. Because God and Jesus came specifically for the weak 
and the vulnerable. As long as you and I insulate ourselves by getting everything in place, we associate ourselves with the powerful for whom God truly does have love too. But the very reason that Jesus came was to minister and to befriend those who were so bruised and injured by the world. And so who do we believe? Who do we believe when it comes to Jesus' approach to us this season? Is it those who will say, just be happy. It's the season to be happy. I mean, come on, let's be jolly together. Or do you get a sense in which Jesus' work is at the other end of the spectrum from all of that? We're going to sing a happy song at the end of this service. (laughs) And in the midst of this singing, I want you to remember that this message of God in the midst of tragedy is very present in so many hymns. In the fourth verse of Angels from the Realms of Glory, there are these words, saints before the altar bending, watching long in hope and fear. Think on that when you sing it. Don't just sing this because you know it. Think what you're singing. And be blessed and know that even in whatever you're dealing with right now, God is present. God is present in the midst of our struggle. Let's stand as we share together in singing 220.